0: of GuideHouse Insights Plugged In Podcast. For those of you who are coming back, thank you very much. We're really happy to have you here. And for those of you who are joining for the first time, welcome. In this podcast, we do deep dives on a range of energy industry topics, and we explore subject matter from sustainable aviation fuels to building efficiency and even, you know, distributed electricity generation, so microgrids and virtual power plants, etc. We're not discriminatory with what we're covering. We want to talk about the whole energy world. With that in mind, I'd like to introduce my colleague. I'm Edie Wilson.
1: I'm on the Transportation Insights team here at Guidehouse Insights.
0: And I'm Gemma LaGuardia. I'm a research analyst on the Data Insights team, also at Guidehouse Insights. This week, We'll be speaking to Peter Marin about his report on leveraging ammonia as a hydrogen carrier and decarbonization tool. Peter is a senior research analyst and managing consultant at Guidehouse Insights, and he leads the low carbon innovation team, which primarily focuses on the hydrogen supply chain, but also on other alternative fuels such as ammonia, biofuels, synfuels, and other decarbonization technologies like carbon capture and storage. Prior to joining GuideHouse, Peter worked as a senior editor at S&P Global, leading the oil news desk for the market intelligence division over 20 years. His journalism career has spanned all facets of the energy industry, from emissions to natural gas, from commodities and equities to financial strategies. On a personal note, Peter is one of the people that I've worked most closely with while I've been at GuideHouse Insights, and he is truly a font of knowledge so I'm really looking forward to today's episode.
2: Thank you, Gemma. Hello, how well, are you?
0: Thank you. So, good, let's good. let's jump right in. Can you introduce us to what ammonia is?
2: Sure. A lot of people already know ammonia as that pungent household cleaning product underneath their sink or in their utility closet. But that's, that's a heavily diluted liquefied version of ammonia Uh, in its natural state. Ammonia is actually a a clear colorless gas. Ammonia production really started to take off in the early 1900s. Two German chemists uh, developed what's known as the Haber-Bosch process. It converts nitrogen um, separated from the ambient air and makes ammonia by reacting it with the hydrogen using metal catalysts under high temperatures and pressures. There are two important things to note there. Number one, hydrogen is a key feedstock for ammonia. So how the hydrogen is made makes all the difference in terms of the life cycle emissions uh, for the ammonia. And number two, since ammonia is made from hydrogen, it carries a lot of hydrogen.
1: Okay. and then. You've mentioned that ammonia has been around for a while. What has it traditionally been used for?
2: Ammonia's primary use in the past and still today is to make fertilizer to enrich crops. Uh, Historically, that's been the primary driver for its production growth. And it's also made a huge difference in terms of food security and global population growth. Since 1950, so in the past 75 years or so, global ammonia production has increased by 20 times and at the same time, global population has tripled to uh, about point 7. 7. eight billion people now.
0: So it sounds like ammonia is really a key component to making sure that today's society flourishes, but there are also new ways of using ammonia. So how are we talking about ammonia nowadays, apart from fertilizer, and how might that be used in the future?
2: Yeah, well, today, more than 80% of ammonia production is still going to fertilizer. But ammonia also serves other important markets as well. Earlier, I mentioned the liquefied version of ammonia as a household cleaner. That's actually a very small piece of the market. Ammonia is also used as a refrigerant gas. It's used to purify water supplies. It's used to manufacture plastics, explosives, textiles, pesticides, dyes, other chemicals uh so has a lot of applications even today still a lot's going to fertilizer though
1: and then you mentioned hydrogen as a key feedstock for ammonia in your report you also talk about ammonia as a hydrogen carrier can you speak to why that's used that way sure
2: uh yeah as as i mentioned earlier ammonia it's a natural carrier of hydrogen uh it has a chemical symbol of nh3 Uh, So each molecule of ammonia is made up of of one atom of nitrogen and three atoms of hydrogen. Uh, This is significant um, because ammonia can be transported over existing routes and infrastructure to wherever it needs to go. And and that location, its desired location, is where it will be decomposed, otherwise known as cracked. And in that process, it releases the hydrogen at its point of consumption. So, Air Liquide, for instance, has recently announced that it's it's planning to build an industrial scale ammonia cracking plant in Belgium. So we're seeing real plans come together here around ammonia.
0: One of the applications that we haven't talked about yet is the use of ammonia for alternative fuels. And that's something that's really exciting and is getting a lot of hype. Would you be able to dive a little bit deeper into that?
2: Sure. So you have the existing market for ammonia, which is mostly going to fertilizer and some other applications. And then you have the potential for ammonia to be used as a a hydrogen carrier. Uh, And then on top of that, you have new technologies that are unlocking the potential for ammonia to be used directly as a fuel, which has really big implications for certain sectors. Uh, The maritime industry in particular uh, is especially keen on harnessing this opportunity. The shipping giant Maersk uh, has been leading the efforts to establish this green ammonia market for the shipping sector. They're not the only ones. Uh, we've got Wartzilla, Man Energy, and a lot of startups, uh, including a Brooklyn-based startup Amagy. Uh They're all working on using ammonia engines uh, in the shipping sector, and even for stationary power. We're, we're, you know, mainspring energy recently unveiled that they've got a new flexible fuel generator that can run on. Various fuels, uh, including 100% ammonia.
1: This is really exciting. Also, just to backtrack a little bit, obviously, ammonia as a fuel, some is more sustainable than other. Can you explain to us what the ammonia rainbow is? I know that's kind of a, a big question. So,
2: <laughs> no, it, it's you know, a lot of people are already familiar with the hydrogen rainbow. And the ammonia hues aren't much different than hydrogens. So ammonia's colors are important because ammonia itself does not contain any carbon. Um, So it's easy to say that ammonia is carbon free. Uh, But the reality is that more than 99% of ammonia made today uh, is actually made from natural gas or coal to fossil fuels. So if an operator is not capturing the CO2 in the production process, which more than 95% of them do not, they're just releasing the CO2 just like so many others are doing. Uh, Ammonia might be carbon-free, but the production process today is rooted in fossil fuels. As for the colors, uh, gray ammonia is made by extracting hydrogen from hydrocarbons, aka fossil fuels, uh, usually through steam, methane, reforming, SMR. uh, That uses natural gas, and it it uses natural gas without any attempt to mitigate the CO2 emissions. Uh, When the feedstock fuel for ammonia is coal, Uh, That coal is gasified and again, and when it's not being captured, when the CO2 is not being captured, it's known as brown ammonia. Together, gray and brown ammonia make up more than 95% of the current global supply of ammonia. Uh, Blue ammonia is the same as uh, gray ammonia, conventional ammonia, except that the CO2 byproduct is being captured and stored. Green ammonia is the zero carbon variety and it's zero carbon throughout its entire life cycle. So it's made by using renewable electricity to produce green hydrogen through uh, water electrolysis. Uh, At the same time, an air separation unit is used to extract nitrogen from the ambient air. Then the two are combined through the Haber-Bosch process. And at at that point, the green ammonia product is no different than any other ammonia, except that it didn't leave behind any CO2 in, in its production um there are other major colors out there uh turquoise ammonia uses pyrolysis to convert uh methane into pure uh carbon and hydrogen which is reacted with nitrogen to make ammonia other production uh methods that use uh, non-renewables uh to power elect- electrolysis uh such as pink ammonia which runs on nuclear power or yellow ammonia which uses electricity from mixed origins so basically grid power
0: wow so it really is truly a rainbow
2: mm-hmm.
0: but peter there are a million different ways to make ammonia and it has a million different applications in today's society so what is driving the push for green ammonia production at the moment
2: i simply put decarbonization but i mean when you look at ammonia it's two biggest drivers are really it's past and it's future to the first point the past you know ammonia has had a hundred years more than a hundred years to develop a market it's infrastructure Supply chain logistics, uh, safety regulations on how to handle it. Um, so uh, global ammonia production continues to rise to keep up with the demand as population growth continues to increase. And there's additional need for, for crop enrichment. Um, and so the feedstock and technology <clears throat> has to be there to keep pace. The second point is, uh, is ammonia's feature. Um, this is another key driver. Um, not only do we have a vibrant, robust and growing global market for ammonia today, But ammonia's potential as a decarbonization tool, both to carry hydrogen and as a direct fuel in its own right, opens up boundless opportunities for additional growth.
1: So we've covered some of the drivers. What are the challenges and barriers to the ammonia sector?
2: Well, to borrow from the title of this podcast episode, we need to clean up ammonia's act. Um, Ammonia itself might be carbon free, but its current production pathways are not carbon free. Ammonia can also yield a large amount of other pollutants, uh, including NOx, SO2, and particulate matter. By boosting crop yields, ammonia it's already saved millions of lives, if not more, over the past 100 years. Um, but it could also play a key role in carrying us into a cleaner energy future. Today, almost all global ammonia production is based on fossil fuels with very little attempt to, to mitigate the CO2 emissions. So that needs to change. It's important that we decar- decarbonize the ammonia production process as soon as possible. Not just to clean up uh, ammonia's act for its existing and growing fertilizer demand, but also uh, what's what's even more important and, and, and paramount is that uh, ammonia production process clean up just so that ammonia can be taken seriously uh, in a carbon f- uh, free future. Of course, we already have the keys to the kingdom, so to speak technology's there, and it's proven unfortunately, the cost to produce green ammonia is still too high to compete with the traditional sources, so we'll have to find ways to cut costs through technological developments, uh, economies of scale, learning by doing, even government funding and other support when necessary.
0: In the report, you also speak about a few regional differences in production. What are those and can you explain them a little bit for us?
2: Sure. China is the biggest producer. Uh, China accounts for 20 to 25 percent of global ammonia production. Russia, the U.S. and India are also leading producers. Not surprisingly, a common thread with all of these countries is that most of the leaders um, in, in the production of ammonia are countries that are blessed with uh, a lot of fossil fuel resources. So, e- even in a relatively small country like Trinidad and Tobago, uh, that's among the, the top 10 ammonia producers producing countries, just because Trinidad and Tobago is rich in natural gas resources. Uh, another noteworthy regional difference um, in the production is that almost all the ammonia produced around the world is made through SMR, which uses natural gas, except in China. China produces most of its ammonia through the gas, gasification of coal, which makes sense because China's been blessed with much more coal than gas. So that was the domestic feedstock of choice. And, and it's interesting when you when you talk about China because it is the largest producer and one of the only countries to produce ammonia through coal is that when you consider China's share in the global production market and that it's almost entirely run through coal gasification, uh, we're talking about 50 million um, metric tons of, of, of ammonia being produced each year from coal, even though it's only happening in China.
1: You kind of touched on this in the last answer, but why is China such a big player? Why is it the largest player in this space?
2: The short answer is that, that China's you know, among the biggest players in ammonia because it has 1.4 billion residents. That's a lot of people to feed. So uh, China's production and consumption of ammonia has, has climbed steadily since 1950. And during that time, its population has tripled. It's It exports a small amount of ammonia historically, but almost all of its production is consumed dom- domestically. And it still imports more um, than it exports.
0: Wow. So, yeah, I guess if you're feeding a seventh of the world or over a seventh of the world, then obviously you're going to need a lot of ammonia. But what, you mentioned that it does export ammonia to other regions and to other countries. What impact does China's policies have on the other countries to which it exports?
2: It, it doesn't export that much anymore, and it, maybe it will in the future, but um, it, it's really throttled back its, its exports, because and, and there is definitely that trickle effect. Uh, it is a global market. So, I mean, for instance, when imports of, of Australian coal started to run low to China in 2021, China decided to stop uh, exporting ammonia to any other country just so that it could preserve its own domestic supply. But when it cut off exports to other countries, it left South Korea scrambling. You know, at the time, Korea was relying on China almost entirely for its own supply of, of urea, which is derived from ammonia and it's used to make fertilizer. Uh, a shortage of coal coming from Australia, changes the policies uh, in China, which in turn uh, impacts Korea. And that's just one example of of the global nature of of the the ammonia market.
0: For
1: the past few years, we've been hearing about political tensions between the U.S. and China, and there's concerns about how that will and is disrupting supply chains. In terms of ammonia, are countries preparing for these sort of disruptions around supply chain.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, I think that the the past couple of years, especially, have have taught us all how globally we're all connected and how geopolitics can can have an impact across the world it comes to supply chain and and global commodities in general. China is mostly self sufficient in its production and use of ammonia. The U.S. is is among the, the, the top five ammonia-producing countries, but it's also the number one importer. So global disruptions can be felt on both the shores of China and the United States and many other shores as well. The fact is ammonia is intertwined with, with so many other global commodities. Uh, for, for example, the longest ammonia pipeline in the world runs uh, almost 1,500 miles from eastern Russia to Ukraine. Obviously, that pipeline was shut down in February of 2022 when Russia invaded Ukraine. So this, along with the war itself, disrupted key crops from the agricultural powerhouse of Ukraine, um, and that's led to higher food prices across the world.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think definitely everyone, I mean, especially maybe less for you guys in the States, but across all of Europe, we're definitely feeling the pinch of higher food prices and especially places like North Africa and everything are really suffering from the you know, reduced grain exports that come by and large from Ukraine. But kind of bringing this all now back together, are we likely to see certain regions or sectors with greater ammonia production and use? And what do you feel is the outlook for the future?
2: In the near to medium term, I'd expect the same big players to remain in the game and and most likely leading. So uh, for the foreseeable future, I'd expect China, Russia, the US, the EU, and India will probably remain the top producers and consumers of ammonia. But as as the green ammonia uh, really starts to draw increased attention and interest, uh, we might see more production facilities being built in renewables-rich areas instead of fossil-rich areas. So anywhere that green hydrogen can be produced at much lower costs will likely be a draw for for future projects. So this makes countries and regions like Chile, Northern Africa, the Middle East, uh, Australia, New Zealand, they're all a lot more attractive for these big projects moving forward when we're looking at green hydrogen because when we're looking at green ammonia because there's a much cheaper access to the, the renewable power to make the green hydrogen. As for use, aside from the existing fertilizer market. I see shipping as the sector that stands out the most to most likely see the most immediate benefits from green ammonia. Um, That's one of those hard to decarbonize sectors. Other sectors could follow, but I'd expect shipping to be the most promising right now.
1: How long do you think it is until green ammonia gains critical mass and becomes commercially viable?
2: I think we could start to see uh, uptake in the late 2020s, uh, maybe some commercially competitive facilities by the early 2030s. Green ammonia requires uh, green hydrogen, which is still in very short supply globally. Uh, A lot of other requirements for green ammonia are already in place, including the technology and the supporting infrastructure. We we at GuideHouse Insights have been um, very closely following the developments in green ammonia, but also green hydrogen. And how to, to how to get that green hydrogen economy in place? A few of our recent reports have looked at um, clean, clean hydrogen trade and you know the current state of financing for green hydrogen projects in the U.S. and Europe. A lot is still being worked out around the physical, financial, logistical elements of green hydrogen future. I think we could start to see uptake in the, the late 20s and possibly commerciality by the early 2030s but really the scale of the green ammonia, the scale up of the green ammonia economy really very much depends on the scale up of the the green hydrogen market.
1: Wow, this has been really informative. I've learned a lot. Thanks so much, Peter, for joining us. If listeners want to learn more about the reports that were discussed here, the main one we touched on was leveraging ammonia as a hydrogen carrier and decarbonization tool. Peter also referenced another report, Navigating Uncertainties in the Clean Hydrogen Trade, which is worth checking out. And you can find those on the Guidehouse Insights webpage. That's www.guidehouseinsights.com under the Hydrogen Innovations section. If you enjoy the podcast, this episode or the last one, you can subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts will be releasing another episode in May, so keep following along. And of course, thanks to my co-host Gemma and to Guidehouse at large for um allowing us to have fun doing this amazing podcast. And thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks all. Thanks Peter.
2: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.